If we let them, my children would eat nothing but blueberries, oranges, bananas, and strawberries. Fruit plus messy toddlers equals fruit flies. To catch fruit flies, my wife puts vinegar in a jar with holes poked in the top. The flies crawl into the jar and get stuck and die. <laughs> but don't you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar? Everyone knows that. So we did an experiment. We put honey in one bowl and vinegar in the other. After two weeks, the vinegar was covered edge to edge in dead flies. It was fruit fly Armageddon. The honey caught no flies until almost the last day when one stupid fly got stuck. <laughs> so it turns out that the conventional wisdom is wrong. You catch more flies with vinegar than you do with honey. If you want to catch flies, you have to know what the fly wants. Humans prefer honey, but flies prefer vinegar. And if you want to attract readers, you need to know what your readers want. Don't assume that they want the same thing you do. Otherwise, you'll get stuck offering different kinds of honey, wondering why no one wants to read your book. So, how do you find your readers? And more importantly, how do you determine what those readers want? Stick around and you'll find out. Author Media presents Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm the Vulcan of book marketing, Thomas Umstead Jr., and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. The first step to finding your readers is to become a reader yourself. The more you read, the more you will develop your palate. And the more you develop your palate, the better your taste will be. How can you tell if this bowl of borscht is any good? Well, you need to have tried borscht before. You need to know what borscht tastes like. You need to know what good borscht tastes like. And after having visited Russia and having many bowls of borscht, I have very strong opinions when it comes to a good bowl of borscht. Well, what is true for food is also true for books. To become a reader, you need to spend less time binging Netflix and more time binging your genre. I've been in this industry for over a decade, and in that time, I've worked with best-selling authors, wealthy indies, and writers of enduring evergreen books, the kinds of books that sell tens of thousands of copies every year. And I can't name a single successful author who was not already a reader of the kind of books they wrote. This is true for fiction. It's also true for nonfiction. It's true for indies. It's also true for traditionally published authors. There's no other way than to be a reader of your genre. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, but if I read other books in my genre, won't I be derivative? No. In fact, the only way to not be derivative is to know what's already out there. Otherwise, you'll just blunder into the common cliches. As you read the popular books in your genre, I encourage you to ask yourself the following questions. What do I like about this book? Why was this book successful in connecting with readers? And what do readers like about this book? Now, that third question, what do readers like about this book? You may need to read the reviews of the book to find the answer to that. You'll notice none of these questions are critical questions. None of them are negative. I don't want you asking what you don't like about the book. Resist the temptation to sit in a place of judgment over these popular books. Any fool can scoff at success, but the wise embrace humility and learn from the success of others. You are reading these books to learn, not to make yourself feel better. So resist the temptation to scoff. 
Now, most genre authors, in my experience, are pretty good about cross-reading in their own genre, but I'm going to call out one specific genre that isn't. In my experience, Christian fantasy and Christian science fiction writers do not read enough in their own genre. Instead of learning from each other, they stumble about in ignorance, and this is holding the whole genre back. Now, I know a lot of Christian spec writers listen to this podcast, and I might have stepped on some toes, and I did that on purpose. <laughs> I mean what I said. Y'all are not reading enough in your own genre, and it's causing your books to be worse than they need to be. So go buy some Christian speculative fiction books if you want to write Christian speculative books. Now, developing good taste in reading books is more than just buying and reading books. I also encourage you to read in community. This is really important because discussing a book out loud helps you organize your thinking. It also causes you to interact with the ideas of others and other readers' opinions of that book. This is really helpful. So I encourage you as an author to create a reading group of two or three friends and start reading books in your genre, the genre that you're wanting to write in. Discuss what you like and don't like about the books you're reading. These friends don't need to be writers. They just need to be readers. And I will say, during the lockdown, our social rhythms were disrupted, and many of us lost touch with many of our friends. Now is the time to start rebuilding those friendships and to form new ones. And what a better way to do that than to form a reading group. It doesn't cost you anything. Maybe a few cups of coffee, but be honest, you were going to drink that coffee anyway. <laughs> there is something magical about meeting at a coffee shop or restaurant with several other people all carrying the same book. I've started doing this. I've started being a part of a reading group and complete strangers will ask what we're reading. And sometimes people will even want to join your group because everyone wants to be a part of a reading group, but no one wants to form one. So be the change you want to see in the world and start a reading group. If you write romance, start a reading group about romance. If you write zombie adventures, read zombie adventures and start a reading group for zombie adventures. You can also do this online. Goodreads.com is probably the best place to start to get connected with other readers. And there's reading groups that are formed on Goodreads. You can read reviews. And I found that Goodreads reviews tend to be more nuanced and insightful than Amazon reviews, which tend to be a little bit more extreme, a little bit less helpful. But really, I encourage you to do this offline in the real world if possible. Goodreads is great and it's a good supplement. But if possible, interact with readers in real life. It will blow your mind of how much you will learn. So that is step one, become a reader. Step two is to write for yourself. You can't steer a parked car. Before you can get on the highway of success, you have to sometimes drive in the wrong direction just to get out of the parking lot and onto the side streets. And before you can drive in the parking lot, you need to learn how to drive a car in the first place. So when learning the craft of writing, for those of you who are just getting started, it's okay to write the kinds of books that you yourself want to read. This will help you get into the practice of learning how to write good sentences, compelling stories, or convincing nonfiction. It's not a bad idea to start here, but don't end here. <laughs> this is not a good place to finish because you are not a representative sample of the world. Just because you like something doesn't mean everyone else will like that thing. Now, this is important because you've got to start practicing. Why? Because everyone is born bad at writing. You don't want to hear this, but your first efforts at writing won't be much better than your first efforts at singing or anything else that's difficult. You've been singing all your life, but there's a big difference between singing before an audience and singing the ABC song. 
My children love singing the ABC song, and they almost have all the words down, and they're still working on getting all the notes down. But they really enjoy singing, and many of us really enjoy writing. But there's a whole lot of work to get it to professional levels, which is what you're going to need to do if you want to be a published author. At first, the only person you'll be able to convince to read your writing is yourself. And so write the kind of book that you would want to read. And this is a safe place to practice and improve, but it's not where you want to end, like I said. If you're diligent at reading in your genre, you'll be developing the kind of taste that will help you see where you need to improve, where you're able to give yourself good feedback. So you become your own kind of initial reader of the genre. This is why being a reader yourself is so important. If you haven't read dozens of books in your genre, you may not have the perspective to give yourself good feedback. But remember, and I want to emphasize this one more time, (laughs) don't end here. Don't end by writing just for yourself. That is making honey, hoping the flies will come. You're not going to catch very many flies with honey because you've got to get into their world. You've got to get into your reader's world and figure out what they want. Now, maybe you're a trendsetter. Maybe you're the kind of person who set the trend at school. You wore a certain kind of clothes and everyone followed you. Maybe you're doing that today. But that is very rare. (laughs) It's very rare to be a trendsetter. That's very hard to reproduce. Most of us need to know which way the river is flowing and get into that stream rather than trying to swim upstream. Okay, so that was step two, right, for yourself. Now let's talk about actually finding your target readers, which is step three, write for your Timothy. To write what readers want to read, you need to write what readers already want to read. I keep talking around this, and I just want to keep saying because this is really important. This means you need to find a reader. That's right. Start with just one reader. We're not looking for a crowd. We're looking for one representative reader. Why? Because if you can learn to thrill the one, you can learn to thrill the many. Because writing for another human being forces you to get outside of yourself and think about what your reader wants in a book. And because, and this is important, if you can't thrill the one, you can't thrill the many. Now, I call this process finding your Timothy. And you may be wondering, why Timothy? You know, my target reader is a woman. Well, Timothy's just an example name, and it comes from one of the books of the Bible. The book of Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, two of them actually, were both written to a specific person. And this gave them focus. It gave them clarity. And that letter to just one person has been read as a book by over a billion people. So having that very clear target helps when writing your book. So what do you look for in your Timothy? What do you look for in your target example reader? Well, the first thing I recommend is that Timothy is a real person. In the corporate world, it's common to create a customer avatar or customer persona. And these fictional composites represent the group. And this advice has trickled down into the publishing world. Where authors, instead of saying, my book is for moms between the ages of 25 and 35 with 2.5 kids, creating a customer persona forces them to say, my book is for Jessica, who's a 32-year-old mom who has three children. Right? No mom has 2.5 kids. The goal of this exercise is to help authors be more specific in who they're targeting and to paint that red dot in the center of the target, so to speak. And I've taken countless authors through this exercise. I used to preach this exercise and really uh, help authors get more clarity on who they were targeting. And I've, in, in doing that, I found that it has one fatal flaw, particularly for novelists, but really for all authors. What is the flaw? 
well, it turns out that authors are really good at creating imaginary characters. Too good. Eerily good. <laughs> you have too many imaginary people in your head. And when you create an avatar or a fictional person, they're typically either too complimentary or too critical. And what is more, and this is important, those imaginary people are not real. <laughs> writing a story your imaginary reader likes is not the same as writing a story that a real-world human being likes. This is why I like for Timothy to be a real person that you can find in real life and ask their feedback on your story. But not just your feedback on your story. Find out where they hang out online. Do they prefer TikTok or Instagram? Are they on Facebook or Twitter? This is important information. If you have that representative reader, you can use them to guide you in all of the decisions that you make, quite frankly. And it can help you make better decisions as an author, not just with the writing, but also with the marketing. The second thing that you want in your Timothy is that Timothy is a reader. Most people like to think that they're readers because reading is fashionable. But if you were to look at the time log on their phones, they spend more time playing Candy Crush or something similar on their phone than they do reading books on their phone. Timothy is not this kind of person, or at least you don't want them to be. Timothy is the kind of person who, on their own, spends their own money to buy books and then chooses on their own to read those books rather than doing something else, like watching TV, playing games, or going to the pub. Now, this doesn't mean that all Timothy does is sit and read books. I'm not saying that. But Timothy needs to be the kind of person who chooses and enjoys to read books for their own sake. Not because a teacher is forcing them, not because their boss is forcing them, but because they, he actually likes reading books. Otherwise, he won't ever get around to reading your book, right? You give him a short story, and like, hey, what do you think of this short story? If he's not a reader, he'll never get around to reading it. He'll never give you feedback on it. And he's not a good representative of your target audience because the kinds of people who don't read, don't read. You're not going to make them into readers. If they have gone their whole life ignoring all of those posters with celebrities at the library telling them to read, you are not going to be able to change them into a reader. Another thing you want to look for in your Timothy is that Timothy is a fan, a fan of your genre, not, not a fan of you, especially if you're first getting started. You don't have any books, you don't have any fans, and that's okay. Timothy doesn't need to be your fan. In fact, you don't want him to be. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But he needs to already like your genre. Writing a self-help book for people who don't like self-help books is a recipe for failure. Writing a romance for readers who don't like romances is also a recipe for failure. And making a Star Wars movie for people who don't like Star Wars movies only angers the existing fans. Don't get me started. <laughs> We're so angry. And we didn't have to be. You just had to make a movie for us instead of for those other fans that you thought would like you more. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And oftentimes people don't like the readers that they have. They don't like the audience that they have. They want those cooler people uh, that they don't have. That is toxic thinking. Be thankful for who you have. Be thankful for the readers of your genre. Don't judge your readers. If you do, they won't like you. They, no one likes being judged. No one likes being looked down on. <laughs> They're not going to buy your book if you secretly think they're uncouth or unworthy of your brilliance. You will be much happier in life if you accept the uncomfortable truth that you can't change other people. With great effort, you can change yourself, but the only person who can change someone else is that person. If someone's not already a fan of your genre, they're not going to make an exception for you. I know, I know, your book is special. God told you to write it and the rules don't apply to you. You don't need to do the hard work. Well, let me ask you this question. 
Do you listen to heavy metal music? No? What if I told you you just need to give it another chance? Would you? Chances are you already have a strong opinion about heavy metal music. I could tell you about this amazing band, Judicator, and how you would love them, but if you don't like heavy metal, you're not going to give Judicator a try. The same is true for readers. Even if you could convince someone to try your genre, she wouldn't be a good Timothy because she's too different from your core reader that you're trying to reach. Remember, if you're writing a romance, you want romance fans to be the first to like it. You want those romance fans to tell their non-romance fan friends they need to make an exception for your book. You don't want your Timothy to be that non-fan reader. Another thing you want to look for in your Timothy is that Timothy is an acquaintance. Ideally, Timothy is someone that you don't know super well, someone who's willing to tell you that your book is boring. (laughs) Typically, we can't get that kind of feedback from our family and friends, and if we're honest, we don't really want that feedback from our family and friends. We need people that we can go to for validation and encouragement. We need shoulders to cry on. We need someone who can hear what's going wrong in our lives and listen without giving us advice on how to fix it. But sometimes we do need advice on how to fix it, (laughs) but we don't want to get that from our family and friends. We want to get it from not a stranger necessarily, but somebody who's, you know, maybe one step removed, you know, kind of a friend of a friend or a distant acquaintance. So Timothy can't be your shoulder to cry on. He needs to be the kind of person who values the truth more than your feelings, the kind of person who values a good story over his relationship with the author. And in case you haven't guessed, Timothy is a beta reader. But the reason why I use the term Timothy is that to get started, I don't recommend that you have a team of beta readers. You start with just one person. You learn to thrill that one person, and then eventually you can grow and build a team of beta readers who are giving you feedback on your book. But when you're first getting started, conflicting advice can be a little confusing, actually, and it can be hard to navigate. So start with one and then later grow to the many. And if you're wanting help on how to grow a team of beta readers. I have a whole episode on that. I'll link to it in the show notes, but the episode title is How to Get More Five-Star Reviews with Beta Readers, Editors, and Launch Teams. So you may be like, I'm way far away from reviews. It's all about how to write a better book that gets more five-star reviews. It's a very good episode if you're wanting help with beta readers. That's the main focus of the episode. I think I titled it poorly (laughs) because I focused the title too much on reviews. Oh, well. So finally, if you're wanting help uh, finding your Timothy, that first person, it's a little bit like finding a husband where there's a lot of different places to find a Timothy, but just like finding a husband, the most common way is through an introduction from a mutual friend. So this is where having that reader group is really useful. So if you're in a reader group of four or five fans of your genre, chances are they know somebody else who's a fan of that genre would be a great beta reader for you, a great Timothy for you, or maybe one of those people in your reading group may be a good Timothy for you. So that's where I would get started. Look for an introduction. And then also your critique group. Uh, Hopefully you're also in a critique group with other authors. Those authors may also have someone they can introduce you to. Somebody who would be very interesting to read a unpublished, unfinished work. And you may be surprised, like what readers would want that? A lot of people are really honored actually to get that early draft. They really enjoy being a beta reader. They love being a part of the creative process, even though they are not able to write themselves. All right. So we talked about finding your Timothy, finding that one representative reader. And I will say this is probably the hardest part. Once you find the one, you start to find more, but there comes a time to find more. And there's actually a shortcut to getting really good information about readers in general. 
So that leads us to step four, research the market. (laughs) Your Timothy and your beta readers give you qualitative data about your readers. Qualitative data, I realize that's jargon. I've got two jargon terms, qualitative and quantitative. So let me walk you through them. Qualitative data is the emotional nuance. It tells you how someone feels about something. So, you know, talking with Timothy, you can find out how he feels about your book. This is really valuable and it's emotionally resonant. But there's a second way to look at the world, a second way to look at your readers, and that is through quantitative research. So qualitative is about what something feels. Quantitative is about how something can be counted. So you can't count how much someone loves a book, but you can count how much they spend on it or how many copies of a book have been sold. And to really understand readers, you want to look at them through both of your eyes as an author, the qualitative eye and the quantitative eye. They give you two different perspectives on the same reality. And there are two really popular sources for quantitative data on what readers want. And I'm a big fan of both of these, and I have affiliate links for both of these. So if either of these sound like they'd be useful to you, feel free to use my affiliate link at authormedia.com. All of the affiliate links that I use in the show are on the resources page. So just go to resources and go to recommendations. I have them all there. I also have the links in the show notes at authormedia.com forward slash 289 for episode 289. All right, so the first service is called Klytics. You probably heard me mention this on the show before. I've I've had the creator of Klytics on as a guest, and this is a service that gives you kind of market research reports on the Kindle market. Now, this is really valuable, especially if you're first getting started, because when authors first start writing, they only have kind of a vague idea of what kind of book is popular with readers right now. And so Kalytics is a great way to educate yourself on trends in the market. And where Kalytics really shines is in helping you pick sub-subcategories of your book. So you're probably not going to switch from writing romance to writing sci-fi, but there's a million kinds of romances. There's a million kinds of sci-fis in which sub-subgenre your book fits in. Often that's only minor tweaks while you're writing the book, and it can make a huge difference in how popular your book is with readers. And there's often a lot of genres that look really similar, right? There's literature and fiction, religious and inspirational fiction, forward slash Christian, forward slash Westerns, which is different on Amazon than the category religion and spirituality, forward Christian books and Bibles, forward Christian fiction, forward Westerns, right? One of those is more popular than the other. And the only way to know, or one of the best ways to know, is with Kletics. We'll, we'll tell you which of those is more popular. But also, if you're trying to figure out, you know, is Westerns, Frontier, and Pioneer more popular Or is Western's contemporary more popular, right? Should I set my story in present day or should I set it back in the day? And in case you're curious, Frontier and Pioneer is currently more popular. (laughs) So the the contemporary Westerns are less popular. But, you know, you're probably writing some different genre and Kletics will give you those reports. It will also show you, you know, what covers are are working well, which covers are resonating. And in the Westerns report, which I was looking at as I was doing research for this episode, it kind of clustered the covers in the three different categories. There's like the silhouette category and the man on the horse category. And you're able to see, oh, these are the kinds of covers that are working really well. And it made it really easy if you're writing a Western to craft it in such a way that it would be resonant with readers. The other thing that I really like about Klytics is that it will tell you who the most popular authors are in a sub-sub genre. So again, as you're becoming a reader and you're reading the books 
in your genre, you want to know what the most popular authors are. And that can be a little hard to tell just looking at Amazon because the bestseller list updates every hour. Sometimes I feel like it updates in real time. It's just because somebody is you know, a bestseller this hour may mean that they got all their friends to buy at the exact same moment they got the bestseller badge and they're not actually a bestseller. So it can be a little bit hard to tell who the really popular authors are, whereas a tool like Kalytics will give you a report of who's had sales over, you know, several months and who the real bestsellers are. The other tool that I really like is Publisher Rocket. So while Kalytics focuses on categories, Publisher Rocket focuses on the words that readers are typing in to the Amazon search bar. Publisher Rocket will show you how many people are searching for a particular keyword and how competitive that keyword is. Very useful to know. And knowing what readers are searching for before you finish your book can really make a big difference. So let me give you an example. And this is a classic example from publisher rocket website but the key phrase second chance romance compare that to the key phrase second chance romance with baby so you would think that second chance romance would be the more popular search phrase right because all second chance romance includes second chance romance with baby but that would not be the case second chance romance with baby gets 800 percent more sales than second chance romance and It has fewer competing books. So your book, if you're writing a second chance romance, if you add a baby to that story, your book is dramatically more likely to resonate with readers because readers are wanting second chance romances with baby. And you can see that right in the stats with Publisher Rocket. This is really useful to know while you're crafting your story. Minor tweaks, right? (laughs) Adding a baby, I guess, is more than a minor tweak, but sometimes it's just minor tweaks. And you can move your book into a category that's really hot with readers. Now, I recommend both Kalytics and Publisher Rocket. But if you only get one, I would start with Publisher Rocket because it's a little bit less expensive. And it also has some category data. It's not as good as the Kalytics reports. The Kalytics reports are really in-depth. They're the kind of report that you'd pay $50,000 for in the corporate world. But they're, you know, 50 bucks or 100 bucks from Kalytics or they come with a subscription. Whereas Publisher Rocket is, I think it's $100 one time and you get it forever, which is a really great price. All right, so that is doing market research. And I really recommend every author get at least one of those tools and educate yourself on the market if you're curious about where to find your readers and what your readers are wanting. But there is an even better way. The ultimate way that every author wants to get to, but you have to earn it. That is step five, writing for your fans. So as you publish more books, you'll develop a community of readers around your books. You'll start to build your own fans. And as it grows, eventually, hopefully, it's all that matters. In terms of who you're writing for, as long as you can keep your existing readers happy and get your existing readers to continue buying your book, you can provide for your family, you can make a living, you can have a very happy career. This is where we all want to get. So how do you listen to your fans? How do you uh, write just for your fans? Well, first you have to write some books, right? This is a step that's only available for existing authors. But if you have a book already on Amazon or two or three books on Amazon, here are some things I recommend. The first is that I recommend that you read your reviews. Now, I know some of you are getting very scared, but let me tell you, a lot of authors read their reviews all wrong. They see the review as a critique of their book 
or, and this is worse, a critique of them as a person or as an author. Good reviews must mean that your book was a good book, right? Or that you're a good author, right? Well, I hate to break it to you, but it's not all about you. It's not even all about your book. I did a statistical analysis today of the word frequency use on my book, Courtship in Crisis. I needed to pick a book, and I was like, why not pick mine? Do you know what the most common used word is that's not a conjunction like and or the? The most common used word in my reviews is the word I. People are talking about themselves. In fact, the word I is used twice as often in my reviews as the word book. People, when they're leaving a review, aren't talking about you nearly as much as they're talking about themselves. So once you realize this, reading your reviews becomes less emotionally exhausting because you realize it's not about you and way more enlightening because you realize each reader is giving you a glimpse into themselves, what they're looking for, what they like, and what they don't like. This can be really helpful. (laughs) And if you want to do the statistical analysis for your book, there's a free website that will count the word frequency, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes for this episode. And it also has a phrase frequency counter. So you can do your own statistical analysis on your own books, which can be really helpful for branding and perhaps very enlightening. You can see what is resonating with your readers and what is not resonating with your readers. Another way to write for your readers is to meet them in person. (laughs) I know it's crazy, but it really does work. And meeting readers in person can be a lot of fun. For some authors, this is the most fun thing that they do. And here's a really easy way to do that. Let's say you're traveling and you're going to be in Chicago next month. You're at a conference or maybe you're traveling for fun. You're there with your family, but you're like, hey, it'd be cool if I have some readers in Chicago. I'd love to meet up with them. So you send out an email to all of your readers in the Chicago area and you say, hey, I'm hosting a meetup. If any of you wants to come, we're going to be at this deep dish pizza place at seven o'clock. So you send an email to all of your subscribers in Chicago and you say, hey, we're meeting. I'm hosting a meetup at this deep dish pizza place at seven o'clock. And, you know, you give the time and the date and you only email your email subscribers in the Chicago area. You don't spam your whole list, just the ones in the Chicago area. And, you know, maybe only two or three people will come. Maybe you'll have quite a few come. But it's a lot of fun. You may be like, How do I do that? Well, guess what? If you're using ConvertKit or MailerLite or even MailChimp, most of these email programs have a geotargeting service where you can send emails to only subscribers within 50-mile radius of a certain area. It's not pinpoint. It's not like Facebook where you can target them based off of zip code. But you don't need that, right? Anyone in the general area, you can invite them. You can start hosting meetups as you travel. Or, you know, maybe you're speaking. For those of you who do nonfiction, often you get a lot of opportunities to speak and meet readers at the back of the room as you're signing books. And anytime you're doing a book signing as an author, you get the opportunity to do a book signing. And make sure to ask your readers a lot of questions. Be interested in your readers. The better you get to know your readers, the more you understand them or understand their hopes and their dreams, why they like what they like, why they read what they read, the better you can serve them with your books, and the better you serve them with your books, the more they will love your book, rave about your book, and share your book with others. This is the secret to success. So a couple of other quick tips. One is, as you're writing more books, you can use each book as an opportunity to upgrade your beta reader team. So typically, you have you know a handful of your beta readers are giving you the most helpful feedback, And there's always like one or two beta readers that maybe don't give you any feedback or they're really slow, they're difficult to work with. And just because they're a beta reader on book one doesn't mean they have to be a beta reader on book two. And if you replace those 
kind of subpar beta readers with new ones who are excited, enthusiastic, and give good feedback. After a while, as an author, you can build a really solid beta reader team. And eventually, you get to the point where there's not a lot of change. You've got just A players who are giving you really good advice, and they're really good representative readers and really good representatives of the market. And so, you know, keep that in mind. You're not stuck with that first team that you created. And then another thing I'd recommend is to listen to your readers. You know, keep all of the fan mail that you get from your readers. Put it all into a category or in your email program. Put it into a folder, into a tag, so that you can go back and reference it. Maybe do some keyword analysis. Maybe go through and read those. to Again, Try because when somebody sends you an email about how much they love your book, you look at that email and read it carefully, you realize mostly they're talking about themselves and how much they enjoyed your book, how your book made them feel. And so pay attention to that part because that's a really great window into your readers so you can get to know them better. And then, of course, you can always survey your readers. There's a free tool for this. You can use Google Forms. You can also use SurveyMonkey, I think, has a free version. But the Google Forms free version, it's a part of Google Docs, and it's more free. It gives you more features. And you know, as you're sending out emails to your readers, ask them questions. Sometimes you just ask open-ended questions. You want them to email you back. You start a conversation that way. That's a really good strategy. But another strategy is to, you know, just create a survey. And they don't have to all be surveys about your book, right? Survey about them about what their favorite movies are, what their favorite books are in your genre, right? Say, hey, I'm looking to read a really good romance and you're a romance author. What romance books do you recommend? Get those book recommendations from your readers and then read them. If five or six of your readers are all recommending the same book that you have not read, you owe it to yourself and to them to read that book. <laughs> and again, you want to find out what in this book do they like? Uh, what in this book resonates with them? The more you understand that, the better you'll be able to love your readers. And this takes us back to the very first marketing commandment. Love your readers as much as you love your book. And to love your readers, you need to know who they are. Our sponsor today is my course, Obscure No More. This is my signature course. It's been in beta for the last six months. It's still in beta, but we're now opening up the beta, or I've kind of quietly already had the beta open. So if you want to join Obscure No More and get help from me building your platform, this course is the way to do it, and the beta is the time to sign up. (laughs) It will never be as cheap as it is during the beta, because during the beta, you're getting the sessions as I make them. (laughs) So you get to influence uh, what sessions I make. Uh, The session I'm working on right now is on search engine optimization for author websites. And when I'm done with that session, uh, the next several sessions are going to be on podcasting. In fact, I'm going to make a whole course on how to start an author podcast we're going to go through the whole thing, nuts and bolts, how to record an episode, how to get your episode on iTunes and Spotify, how to grow your audience, how to monetize it. We're covering everything. That'll be a standalone course at some point in the future once it's finished, but Obscure No More students get it as I make it, and they don't have to pay any more for the podcasting course. They get it all bundled in. So if you're curious about the Obscure No More course, you want to join or learn more about it, you can do that at authormedia.com. Our featured patron today is Amanda Wynn, author of Roots of Wood and Stone. Garrett Anderson just wanted to clean out his grandmother's historic farmhouse before selling it. But his carefully ordered plans runs up against two formidable obstacles. Sloan, who's fallen in love with the house and his own heart, which is irresistibly drawn to Sloan. So Amanda, thank you for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you for supporting the show and helping keep us 
on the air. I really appreciate it. And if you would like to become a patron of Novel Marketing, you can do that. Patreon.com. We also have a link in the show notes. And if you can't afford to become a patron, but you still want to support the show, you can. The easiest way is to use one of the affiliate links. It doesn't cost you any extra money, but whoever uh, you use, whether it's Kalytics or Publisher Rocket or somebody else, if you use one of our recommendations, they send us a little something for sending you there. So it's a really great way to help support the show. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt. The blog post is by Shauna Latelier, and I am Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host. To find that blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.